evening and welcome to the fish cast my name is Corey long here with charles fishbine happy fourth of july fish it's around fourth of july when we're uh, taping this so just wanted to get all the uh, pleasantries out of the way i hope you had a good weekend and grilled up a bunch of stuff i made some ribs today yeah, you, 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 do, you do a good job with the ribs. You do a good job with the ribs. When you come down, I have a rack. I'll, I'll, I'll make you some ribs when you come down. Yeah. You do a really good job with the I ribs. I have a special birthday this year. You know, it's, oh, that's, oh, that's right. over to the other side. Oh, it is a special birthday. It's, yeah. hitting, the, it's, hitting, the, it's hitting the top of that mountain. It only goes yeah. downhill from there. It only goes downhill from there. Yes, it does. Ah. Uh, you know, we got big news coming out of uh, the college football world, and this was this was a little unexpected. You know, most of the stuff you can see coming a mile away. I don't think any of us really saw USC and UCLA join, join, joining the Big Ten coming. And I can tell you the Pac-12 leadership absolutely did not see it coming. Um, first of all, it's, you know, I mean, from a academic athletic standpoint of being, you know, at schools that are known for their athletics and academics, both schools fit the bill, obviously. Um, it's, a, it's a big market. It's L.A. It's West Coast. Uh, they both have global uh, alumni, which is a big thing for the Big Ten. You know, the Big Ten, a lot of those Michigan and Ohio States, Michigan State, you know, their alumni travel, you know, pretty Penn State. They, they, they travel far and wide. Um, we, we, we've lost college football, at least the college football that we grew up on. It still exists. It's just going to exist in a different way now. Um, what, what were your thoughts? I mean, I, I know, I know what, I mean, they, they made it clear that this was a revenue decision, which I think we both knew. What were your thoughts when you first, when I first, I think I was when I told you. I called you and said, oh, yeah, USC and UCLA driven the big uh, 10. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, my question is kind of, I'm going to throw it back to you, is why should we be surprised? I mean, we already saw Texas and Oklahoma make this move to the SEC. And, you know, it kind of was hidden. And there was some talk that USC was interested in leaving and possibly going to the big 10. And I'm not really surprised. I mean, college football, it's, We've said it before, you know, it used to be a big deal for a Florida team or one of these teams to fly out to uh, California and play out there or vice versa. I mean, I remember watching UCLA play Miami in 1998, and that was like Butch's turning team with Edward James. And, you know, yeah. now that these teams, it used to be you never played, you, you never saw the Florida States playing in the Rose Bowl. All of a sudden, the championship teams are now in the Rose Bowl and they're out in Arizona and you have Alabama playing out there, and you have all these big games, and the country's kind of shrunk. Uh, travel's not that big big of a deal anymore because these teams have charter flights. It's not like they're just, you know, it's easier for them to travel than it was 15 or 20 years ago. So, you know, these markets, I've talked to you, talked to Demo about this a lot, and, he, and we keep going back and forth. I keep telling them, I said, these conferences want eyeballs. The guys that run the networks want eyeballs. I saw something today where Georgia Tech may be a school that the Big Ten really wants to go after. Why? Because they're in Atlanta. There's a lot of eyeballs yeah. there. It's not the team. It's the potential of the viewership 
and what these conferences could get out of these areas. You know? Yeah, it's uh, you know, and Georgia Tech fits a, you know, they fit a certain bill for uh, the Big Ten with their academic uh, know-how and their uh, you know, and and their athletics and having a athletically they haven't been great in the past few years, but you know, if you look at it over time, talking over a 30-year period, their athletics have been pretty strong. Um, and, you know, it's just, I, you know, right now we know where we're headed in the sense that we're going to some sort of a of an abbreviated deal from what we have, which is 131 Division A Pro, Division A, uh, FC, excuse me, FBS program. We're not going to have that many. Now, the people that think we're going to have like 44 or 48, I, I don't agree with them. I think the number is going to be closer to 70 when it's all said and done. But I want to hear, like, when this thing, when this thing gets kind of, when the dust settles, say three years from now, what do you think is going to, what do you think we're going to have? I, I think you'll have two leagues with national championships you'll have an upper tier which will probably be like you said 70 or 80 teams listen i don't think the wake forests and those teams are going to get laughed out they've they've been part of this way too long i think they're respected at the end of the day by these conferences i don't believe that the conferences are going to just say all right northwestern uh wake forest vanderbilt hey you know what you've been loyal to these conferences we're not going to take you uh, along for the ride but i do think you'll probably see it um, a, a second tier group, which is more the you know the group of five teams, will probably play their own national championship, um, and maybe they play their own playoffs, and somehow they get an at large bid for winning that playoff and having a chance in a sixteen team playoff. That maybe that's how they incorporate those type of teams. So if you have a Cincinnati that was a group of five, and now they're going you know power five, but if you have one of those teams, maybe a UAB or one of these teams that does win. Uh, their level that they do have a chance at winning at the highest level um, if they reach certain criteria. So I don't, I don't, I keep telling everybody, be patient. I think this thing's going to work itself out. Uh, there's a lot of money to be had. I personally, you know, you look at, even look at Notre Dame and everybody goes, well, you know, they're going to stick to their NBC deal. That deal, if you go look at it, they have been so undervalued in the grand scheme of things they're making, I think like 15 or 20 million, even if they're making 30 million a year, it's still way less than if they join the big 10 and they're making a hundred million a year, that's 70 million over 10 years is 700 million, but they're losing. They're never going to get that back unless they join a conference. And I think that it's a good thing. I think this is going to force Notre Dame to finally jump in with one of these conferences. And I think that will be the last, um, straw to break once Notre Dame decides what conference they're going in it's going to fall in line you'll see the Florida State you'll see the Miamis you'll see the Clemson's uh the Virginia's and North Carolina's these teams all fall in line and they're all going to end up in other conferences they'll probably be uh three or four you know three probably three or four conferences still I still think the Pac-12 will probably combine with the Big 12 uh whatever is left over uh, there's still a lot of good teams in there I mean Arizona State uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Oregon, Washington, Stanford still a great program. So there's still a lot of options, but I think overall college football will work itself out. I try to keep telling people, stop worrying about the NIL, stop worrying about the portal. These things will get corrected. And trust me, when they go to these mega conferences, 
they're going to want guardrails. Uh, they're going to want. They're yeah, not going to want teams that's... just you know picking off players from each other. They're going to they're going to have a commissioner. They're going to have rules that these teams are going to have to abide by. And I think college football will be better. We just right now it's kind of in that flux state, but it will figure itself out. There's too much money, Corey, for them not to get this right. Oh, I mean, I don't know about that. I mean, the money is the reason why they've always got it wrong. So, because there's too much money. But, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, like you mentioned Oregon. Right now, I think Oregon is going to – I'm curious of what they're going to do, whether they're going to look to Phil Knight to help them rebuild the Pac-12 or if Oregon, Washington, and let's say Stanford and Cal, you know, if USC and UCLA – wasn't just the first move, and those four schools are, you know, ready to jump right behind them, and you know, leave the rest, leave everybody else out in the lurch. There's, there's a, like the reason I don't think we're gonna just see like forty eight teams or whatever that number that's getting thrown out is, it's because there's just too many. There's one hundred thirty one, and you know, if you're talking forty eight teams, and there's no you know, and, and you know, what are you going to do with the Arizonas of the world? What are you going to like? These are big areas. These are big areas where lots of kids play football. I mean, like Cal you want to, you know, Cal Berkeley's in Oakland. You know, and, and there's a lot of eyeballs. You've seen with the Golden State Warriors and, and yeah. how much they attract in the NBA Finals. Like Cal Berkeley, people could sit there and go, oh, "It's not that big. It's not their record. It's not the program. No, it's never. It's it's the people have to get over that." that it's not that anymore. These people yeah, that are running the networks are looking at how many people they can draw. At the end of the day, and it's, I'm not trying to knock Starkville, but even if Cal Berkeley has a decent team, they're going to draw more than Mississippi State just because they're, 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 drawing, for a, they're drawing from 5 million people instead of 300,000 or a million. Like, they're just drawing from more people. So yeah, Berkeley, they're drawing from more people. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, it's not going to be just some these two super conferences of just powerhouse teams because, like, here's the thing. College football is not the NFL. The NFL, there's a, there's a top and there's a bottom. Someone has to go 3-14. and 14. Someone has to go 4-30. and 30. Someone has to go 2-15. and 15. And that, per, that, that team... They get, you know, by being awful, they get to go in the draft and they have a chance to pick the best player in the draft or the second best player and so forth. College football, like if you just put the 48, say you took the 48 teams, they were all superpowers, someone's got to be at the bottom. You know, someone has to go three and nine. There's got to be a Washington Generals. Yeah, someone's got to be there, and there's no draft to save you when you go three and nine. You got to figure it out on the recruiting trail. So there's going to be some team. You know, this is what they're going to look and say. Okay, we need the Kansas in here. We need the Washington State in here. We need the Duke in here. You know, we need we need some of those teams that aren't going to be at the top of the top of the list because you have somebody to beat unless unless they're all going to sit there and play you know play like three games against each other and other nine games against lower division level schools everybody can win you know it's just 
you know, so my feeling is there'll be 70 something teams, maybe, I don't know, I thought a number like 76. And you can put them in like six, you can still put them in five or six conferences. Yeah. And, and make it work like that. And what you do, I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to start really perfect, you know, if you're going to start really modernizing things, is you take your conference and we'll just use the old conference names for now because we don't need to use new conference names, but still don't exist. We'll take, all right, Big Ten, you play your conference schedule and you guys are matched up with the, I don't know, the ACC and the Big 12. And that's how you got to pick your non-conference this year. And, you know, and then the next year it's two other conferences. You know, it's just this way you can kind of play everybody on a rotation. It just takes, you know, a long time to do it. And you play, and you can always play your non-conference. You have a better idea where your non-conference comes from. So it's a, but you know, right now it's a lot. I agree. A lot of teams that are worried shouldn't worry because I just don't think it's going to be as small as people think it's going to be. So you take seventy-six. That was my number. Seventy-six out of a one thirty-one. I think is fifty-five. So that's fifty-five schools, which you would assume are going to be all. G5 schools with maybe some exceptions. Maybe there'll be one or two or three exceptions in there. Maybe like an SMU that's located in Dallas might get over. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe FIU is because they're in Miami might get over, you know, something like that. Uh, but, you know, not many of, but, and, and, um, I mean, I still think if USF gets the right administration in there, they're, and they put a stadium on campus. The Tampa market's a big market. It's had a lot of success in other sports. And you've seen the fans follow the teams that they're winning. you you got to wonder, like, all right, they already have UCF. UCF needs a partner. And I know they've screwed it up from the beginning, but maybe they get that oh. thing corrected. I don't know. I mean, you, you would know more about it than I do. But they have the room to put an on-campus stadium. They have the room to have an indoor practice facility and have a quality Football. Yeah, it's just, you know, for them, it's just going to take a while to build up. They're not, they're building up some other stuff, but the stadium thing is they still don't have, they don't have any, they don't have any location or anything. It's just something that they talk about that they know they want. Um, and that, you know, I think that they're working hard to kind of figure it out, but that's all, you know, and, and so the thing is, and if you're in a situation like that, it's, you know you gotta your time your time uh, your your time period is is it, shortened up considerably. So it's a lot, and it's curious to see like like where some of these schools are going to end up at. Like I would sit around there and say, like what school? What, where were the SEC? If the SEC is going to go plucking into the ACC, where are they going to pluck? Like, I don't think they're going to end up plucking in. Which conference did you say? The SEC. If they're going to go pluck for some more schools and they're going to pluck in the ACC, where are they going to pluck? Like, I think NC State is going to be an SEC school. Like, I think they're going to join the SEC. I wouldn't be surprised if North Carolina and NC State were both SEC teams. Yeah, I, I definitely think that that's a good possibility. Like, I think you could pretty much figure the Big Ten's going to take um, Virginia. Virginia. Um, yeah, they're going to take Boston College. Boston College. 
Yeah. They're going to take Syracuse. Probably Syracuse, yeah. yeah. Uh, just because those programs are more – just the type of players they recruit. I Listen, Syracuse had a great program. I know most people that uh, follow college football don't remember them being great, uh, but we do. And it's just yeah. – I think the ACC is a bad fit for them. Like, I, yeah, honestly, I mean, Maryland's more of a fit, and they left the Big Ten. Because Maryland's in the D.C., Virginia area, which a lot of the schools – but Syracuse really always recruited Northeast. They recruited Midwest kids. Um, their natural rivalries are pretty much. I, I think that Syracuse, Michigan. I remember always watching Syracuse, Michigan, watching uh, Syracuse play some of those um, uh, Midwest schools. It, it, they just seem more of a fit yeah, I mean, for that. They're, they're seeing Syracuse, Pitt, West Virginia, Penn State was a school that they played quite a bit. You know, but like, but you know, they play like it's a big like. Syracuse, Michigan was a game. Syracuse, Michigan State was a game that was played. Um, and if you look at the players that they've gotten, like Donovan McNabb from Chicago, like that's their area. Like they recruit, they would love to recruit, you know, New York, New Jersey, Ohio, that area. The ACC kind of just doesn't really fit with all that. Um, Oregon, out in the Pac-12. I mean, do you think that Phil, do you think that, you know, when they go to Phil Knight, they tell him the situation is, do you think he's going to put the money in them rebuilding the conference? Or is he going to tell them, yeah, I'll help you out. All the meanwhile, he's going to have Stanford, Washington, and Cal on the other line saying, all right, guys, we probably need to jump out of <laughs> jump off this Titanic before it's up sinking. I mean, he, they were talking about it today a little bit. I was reading certain things with Phil Knight and the legacy he wants to set. And, and he's, he's very wealthy and he has a lot of influence in college football. He could, he could definitely fix the Pac-12. Listen, it's, they still have a lot of good teams. You, you still got Oregon, uh, who's played for a national title. Washington won a national title back with Don James back in the day. Um, you know, Arizona State, uh, if they had had the playoffs that year, would have been probably playing Florida State in the national title game, and Florida would have been left out uh, with the one loss that year. Um, so these schools have had success. Arizona had it with uh, Dick Tomey and back in the, you know, the Rob Waldrop days and the Teddy Bruschi days. So th those teams have had success. I think Utah is a very, very good program. I mean, you're talking yeah, about agree. that you know doesn't get enough recognition, but. You know, they, they're, they're like a top 10, 15 program every year, and Whittingham's done a great job. You know, Colorado won a national title. You know, Colorado probably may benefit from this where they don't have to play UCLA and USC every year. They may be able to, you know, get their program back to a standard of where they're winning eight, nine, 10 games and potentially getting back to another level. I think the Big 12 and the Pac-12 are a very good mix of pulling that thing together. I think that, you know, Baylor, Oklahoma State, those teams being in almost in the Eastern Division, while you still, you know, you have uh, Baylor, you have Texas Tech, you have these teams, you can still uh, tap into that Texas market, that Texas-California market. I think it could be an interesting conference. And, you know, that both conferences don't really believe in a ton of defense other than uh, the guy, David Rand at Baylor. So I think that conference could work um, yeah. <coughs> if they put it all together. It's going to be interesting. The, the one thing that, Corey, I, you know, I had this conversation a long time ago um, with a good friend of mine. And, 
I, I said at the time, why isn't the ACC going after Texas and Oklahoma? And then I said, you know, you know, I really think they should go after UCS, USC and UCLA and these conferences because, you know, it really doesn't matter distance anymore. People go, oh, well, it doesn't make sense for all the other sports. Listen, what you do with all the other sports, you let them play make up their own schedules and not really have them tied into conferences. You know, they could just regionalize those other sports. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Like girls soccer could figure it out. They could play all the team, you know, the, the bigger sport of football, the travel doesn't really that matter because if you're leaving on a Thursday or a Friday, you still, you have to get on a plane. And a lot of these places you can fly direct into California where you go to, you know, a team flies up to, um, some of these places like Minnesota or some of these different places that they're in different areas. It's still a full day of travel. It doesn't matter. You're going to be on an airplane or in an airport and it's going to be a seven, eight, nine hour day. So I don't really think it matters that much. You know, you get on a plane, you deal with it and it's that one day of travel. So it's another hour instead of being four hours, it's a five hour flight. I don't think it's really going to make a difference. Uh, let's be realistic. Uh, I even spoke to somebody earlier. These kids ain't student athletes anymore. They're going to start making kids from Ohio go to California every week to play. Um, you, you got to even wonder if these kids are even going to be going to class anymore. Is football just going to be a separate sport? And these schools are just like, all right, they're they're an arm of our institution, but are these guys going to even go to school anymore? It'll be yeah, a, I mean, with online classes, I could definitely see them probably just you know just saying you're taking your classes and. You know, when you yeah, get your classes for this semester, and they're all online. online. You don't have to really go. Yeah, yeah. You got to clock in in the morning, clock in in the afternoon. Yeah, you're alive. Yeah, exactly. And uh, like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying. I was actually typing some stuff, and I'm, uh, I'm a school. I'm definitely a school short. I'm a Big Twelve. If the pack, whatever's remaining in the Pack Ten. The Big 12 and the ACC try to find some combination. And say, say they, they allow, you know, Syracuse, Virginia, Boston College to go to the uh, Big 10. And they say, we're going to kind of work with the, and, you know, and, and maybe, maybe even Duke, maybe even Duke's a Big 10 school, you know. When you look at it, with even though they're a little south, I mean, everything else they have, you know. Duke and Wake Forest might both fit, you know, the Big Ten mold of what they want. So, it'll, you know, it'll be interesting. And I'm trying to, like, I'm looking at this, you know, can they somehow combine and say, say take if you've got 10 in the Pac-12, you're going to have 12 in the Big 12, you've got 14 in the ACC, not counting Notre Dame. Uh, 10, 12, uh, that ends up being 36. You take 28 of those and you have just, you know, you have an East-West thing and you get that Phil Knight money in there because, you know, you're pretty much saving the pack, the pack 12. You know, he can kind of help bridge some of the revenue gaps. Most of these schools are already Nike schools, you know? Yeah. So he can help kind of bridge some of these revenue gaps. Uh, because, you know, the, the issues we're having right now is that, say, you know, say, we'll take Miami. Say Miami eventually joins the Big Ten or the SEC, whatever. 
excuse me, whatever form it is, um, four years from now, that's still four years that Iowa is going to be making twice as much money as them. You know, you don't get to catch up. I don't think it's going to be four years. I, I think this thing's shaking out in the next year and a half. I, I okay. just, I just think that. Listen, ESPN is. We've already seen it. Fox is going to be involved. I think you're going to. We, you, you were the one that brought this up. They are going to have to start bidding, and I think that these teams are going to get paid a lot more than they ever thought. I, I, I don't think the numbers. You know, it was 70, 80 million. Now it's over 100 million. I think this is there's a lot to go around, and I, I see this thing. I don't think there's going to be an ACC in, in another six months or a year. Like by the end of this season, I think the ACC will have already broken up, and maybe it's still the ACC, but it's broken up into the. You're going to have three or four major conferences, and the contracts are going to be renegotiated because there's just two the the money. I mean, let's be honest, ESPN. They they overbid it for the SEC, but at the end of the day, when you really look at it, they've still made a lot of money. Oh and yeah, they're, the they're ACC, definitely making. The ACC, you want to talk about robbing the schools in the ACC? I mean, first off, the ACC in basketball has won I don't know how many national championships. I know Virginia, Duke, I mean, uh, North Carolina, Florida State's had a good run. You've had like four or five teams either win the championship or play for it. The ACC and basketball, they've they've basically given you know them a lot, and then you look at uh, Flo- you know Florida State won the national championship, and then Clemson's been there. I, I think the ACC has been so undervalued because the people that ran the ACC undervalued it that ESPN has gotten away with just having these schools getting paid so little, and, and they've made money off the ACC. That's not going to that grant of rights and everything that's going away because these conferences are going to be broken up and these teams know their values now. I, I just think that um, unless these ADs are clueless, what I don't, I, I just don't believe they're, they're blind. They, they've, they've seen the numbers, what the big 12s or big 10s projected, and they've seen what the SEC's projected. These other conferences aren't going to be making 35, 40 million a school, like 70 million is a low point for a second tier conference, 70 million per school or 80 million. There's not going to be a 40, 50 million dollar gap between yeah. the ACC and the SEC. They, it just, they want it to be competitive. The people that are running it don't want to lose 75. I keep saying this to our buddy Dima is these school, the, the people that run TVs and you're, you've been around guys, they don't want to lose 75% of the audience. They have, there's a lot of people out there. You look at the NFL, yeah, they don't want the NFL uh, model, but at the same time, the NFL gets it. Like, everybody, no matter what team, they're watching every Sunday. Whether their team has a chance or not, like, they still want fans watching these teams, and they want to take advantage of all the markets. They don't want to just be in Alabama and Georgia. It just – it's not good for the sport, and it's not good – the people that are running it, the TV networks, they don't want – to uh, just have people that are interested in like ten percent of the country. Yeah, you're absolutely right. No doubt about it. All right, so here's what I'm looking at. So I was um I was typing up the uh, the schools, and um, 
the three conferences, the ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-10, and trying to figure out how we come up with the 28 schools. So with the 14, uh, the 14, the, uh, the 12, and the Big 12, that's 26. 10, that's 10 in Pac-10, that's 36. We're sending off Virginia, Boston College, Syracuse, and Duke right now to the Big Ten. We'll have to figure out whether Wake Forest stays or goes. But we're sitting up, we're cool with those four schools going to the Big Ten, right? Locationally, for the most part, three of them fit. Duke acts absolutely fits academically. And I mean, from a basketball standpoint, you're talking Duke, Michigan, Duke, Michigan State as conference games. That's just going to be crazy. Like, they'll be fine, right? And they can still play North Carolina. You know, they're once or twice a year if they want. And maybe North Carolina ends up in the Big Ten, too. So, if we're looking at it, man, we got we got to find 28 teams out of the, out of the rest of them. That leaves us 32. We got to find a 28. Um, who stay? Now, just tell me. Now, remember, four of these schools can't stay. All right? So, you tell me who stays, who do you keep, who, do you, who goes. We're going to start off in the Pac-10, Washington. Washington's a stay, right? As far as Pac-10? Yeah, just stay in general. Like, you're keeping them in this new – we're creating, like, two 14-team conferences out of these three conferences. Yeah, I definitely – I I don't – the only team in the in the Pac-12 that I think could move um, is Stanford because Stanford fits, like, a lot of academic stuff that um, is in – you know, the uh, Big Ten, plus it gives them that Northern California market. They already got two teams in Southern California. They don't need, you know, maybe Cal goes in there. But I, I well, really – Cal and Stanford would both end up Big Ten, too, which makes it easier. We've, yes. already, we've already cut six teams. We've already given the Big Ten six. I mean, again, two teams that fit both academically and athletically with what the Big Ten does. Cal and Stanford, yeah. They'll both yeah, so – we're keeping the rest of the packs. We're keeping Washington, Washington State, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado, Oregon, and Oregon State. Yes. We're we keeping those Arizona, eight. Arizona, Colorado, Arizona State, Utah, those four. Uh, Washington's five, Oregon State six, Washington seven, Oregon's eight. So you have eight teams. That's then- eight. So we, so we got 20 left. Now we got, we got two spots that – we still need to figure out with people. So going to the Big 12, UCF would be part of this thing, right? Yeah, Houston's going to be part of this thing. Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, T. Boone Pickens money going to be part of this thing. Yeah, I think you got Iowa Cincinnati. State. Yeah. Iowa State. Iowa State's going to be tough because it's really, <laughs> if they could yeah. be one that gets screwed out of this whole thing and not they miss out on a chair because they really don't provide much of anything. No offense. I mean, Campbell's done a great job, but I mean, Iowa State may as well be a pack. You know, it's just I hate to and say I don't that. I'll probably never get them as a client now for saying that, but I mean, Oklahoma State and <laughs> Baylor Oklahoma State and Baylor just see, and, and even uh, Kansas. I mean, um, yeah, Kansas has that basketball. Yeah, I mean, that they're either going the Big Ten or they're going, yeah. or they're going yeah. or they're going yeah, they're, Kansas basketball is too damn good to get left out. Like their football yeah, team could exactly. be going on twelve every year. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but like, I really think that Oklahoma State, Baylor. Um, okay, I definitely think they're going to the big 
they're going to the Pac-12. I, I could see TCU because of the Dallas market or yeah. if they're in that Fort Worth and maybe SMU um, in Houston. Yeah, I mean, like we like, could I could see like, SMU being better off in a couple years than Iowa State, you know? Yeah, I like I you can bump off Texas Tech for SMU. Like it happen. Yeah. Like BYU you keep. I think yeah. West Virginia is in because when you look at who we're keeping on the ACC side, yeah. like we're talking Pitt, you know, we're talking North Carolina, like Virginia Tech, we're talking there's some natural fits for West Virginia. Yeah. You know, Louisville, we're talking there's some natural fits for West Virginia. So basically what that leaves us, you know, what? so right now we got Ohio, Iowa State's a question. Uh, Texas Tech's kind of, eh. Kansas State, are we definitely keeping Kansas State or they're kind of, we're going we're gonna to look at them and we're going to look at them separately. I think Kansas State goes, will go to the Pac-12. Uh, they're, yeah, they ain't going to the Big Ten. That's how they have. Listen, you know what? Those Pac-12 teams are going to need some Kansas Juco kids. So, you know what? You yeah. want to. But, yeah. if, like, if I'm Iowa State right now and Texas Tech, I'm nervous, man. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. You, you may get bounced, like, out of the whole Power Five real quick, you know? Yeah. They may be but, independents. Some leaves us in the ACC once we've – once we've jettisoned Virginia, Boston College, Syracuse, and Duke over to the uh, Big Ten. over over to the Big Ten, uh, that leaves us. Uh, that leaves us in North Carolina, NC State, Virginia Tech, Clemson, Miami, Florida State, Pitt, Georgia Tech, Wake Forest, and Louisville. Uh, like I said, you know, right now we've sent six more teams over to the Big Ten. Um, Obviously, Wake Forest and Georgia Tech could fit in there, but we want to keep them with us for now. So we've given them Duke. Even with so I think out of that, you can start mixing and matching, and you could find two 14-team conferences that should be pretty well equipped to compete and not look like, you know, and not look like, you know, not look like low low grades programs, right? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. So it's inter- it's it's going to be interesting to see what these three conferences do to to a keep everybody from getting raided because, like you said, if they don't do something now, the next SEC is probably thinking, well, NC State, we're going to grab them, and you know they're going to grab somebody else to have this crew. So it's never going to stop. Their best thing is to say, hey, we figured it out. We're, you know, and you work with these other conferences. Like, you work with the Big Ten and say, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. These are the schools that fit your, you know, that, you know, fit your bill. And these are where you should be. So, it's uh, it's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. I don't think. Most schools, like, we have a lot of fans, like, especially in the state of Florida. If you're at Miami, it's not to worry about. If you're at Florida State, you're going to find a spot. There's a spot there for you. You guys make too much money. You're too much of a revenue generator for there not to be a spot. You know, the only thing is you don't want to end up waiting too much longer. You know, you don't want to have the years continue to go by where you're just not making good annual money 
because even though eventually you're gonna, the money's going to catch up, you're never going to catch up on what you've already lost. You know, no, you can, you can't make this like these schools already got taken advantage one time, and this Karina Reich's deal for the ACC is just down. I, like honestly, anybody that negotiated that deal, I wouldn't let them negotiate like a box of popcorn at the theater. I, like they should never be negotiating deals again because they really <laughs> did the whole ACC wrong. Yeah, it's just disgusting. There should never be. They basically took like the first offer. Oh, you, you know, you know, what, you you want thirty million? Okay, no problem. Hey, there, here it is. You know. So. Yeah, I think it was. I uh, you know I I think unfortunately for uh, John Swafford at the time, who was the head of the ACC, I think they were just they were afraid they were going to get left out of the new TV deal deals that were happening and instead of trying to position themselves in a place of strength and the strength of their conference they were just going to like you said he was just going to be quick to saying yes to anything that sounded good and they just didn't want to get left out and in the process they, they got him for a ton of years they got him for 25 years when the other conferences were signing for like eight years you know I don't know if that was a fear that he just felt like the conference wasn't going to be good. He could see in the future that come 2022, the conference wasn't going to be good and they would appreciate whatever they could get. But I don't know if that's the case. Now, I mean, listen, Florida State, Miami, Clemson have brands. Yeah. And, and then you look at the conference from a basketball standpoint, it's really strong and their baseball programs also did very well. It's not like the yeah. ACC was crap. I mean, they were winning national championships. I mean, as great of a program as UCLA ha- is and has been for years, they have not played for and, and won as many national championships as North Carolina. They haven't won as many national champions. I mean, like between Duke, North Carolina, I know Virginia's won recently. Um, I don't know who some of the other teams in the ACC that have won, but I, I'm sh- it's been more than, you know, Louisville won a national championship recently. So that's four schools. You have four schools that won a national championship uh, in basketball. And then you look at the two, you have Florida State and Clemson that have both won in football. You could put that up against pretty much any conference, you know. Uh, I mean, yeah, the SEC's had multiple teams win, but it's been the same predominantly teams. I mean, Georgia just finally won and broke through after, you know, with 40 30, or something years. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they, you know, they've always been about a program about what they, you know, kind of like, they're kind of like Texas, you know, oh, they what they could be and they should be, but they haven't been until this year. You look at yeah. it, it, it's basically been Alabama and LSU. Alabama, LSU. Yeah, Florida's won a championship, won the championships in there, but Georgia never really won. Auburn, you know, won one and played for another one. But that wasn't that that just they were more outliers than they were actual like you you know every year Alabama and LSU are gonna be there, no matter who they've had as a coach. Um yeah. you know, I mean heck, we've talked about they won with the cookie monster. Um they they're they're LSU's a different bird. I mean, they're not, they're a better program than Auburn, and I know Auburn fans will want to hear that, but just because of where they're located and the talent that and resources they have at their disposal it's a better program. I mean, it's, it's an easy school to win at. Um, but it's pretty much Alabama and Auburn. 
I mean, Alabama and LSU, and then you've had Florida had the run with Spurrier and had the run with, uh, you know, Meyer, but they've had their moments where they haven't been relevant um, in college football uh, as far as SEC and playing for championships. So it's, you look at the ACC, they, they match up well. They've had two teams that have won national championships in football and then basketball. I, I'm pretty sure they've had way more teams win in basketball than the SEC, you know? So when you combine the two sports, the ACC's had a ton of success. They, they undervalued their, 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 the package. I mean, they basically should have been making a lot more than they did considering they've been so relevant for over, you know, 15 years now. So. Yeah, exactly. They just it was a it was a bad deal. It was at the time the deal wasn't it wasn't like the deal was really received as some amazing deal at the time. And especially, you know, as time went on, it wasn't gonna get any easier. Um, it wasn't gonna get any better. Like that deal, like, you know, I mean, over a twenty five year period, just natural naturally everything inflates. So more it was gonna be more ten year that you know Five years from the time that the deal would sign, basically. Um, and yeah, we got time. I mean, by the time we, God knows, heck, it'd be the next podcast, two more things might have happened. So this is a forever, this is a fluid situation, is the best way to describe it. Things are happening at a very quick rate. Um, let's get into recruiting. We got Arch Manning. Uh, the final, uh, I think the final of the current of the Mannings, he is committed to Texas. Uh, and the minute he committed to Texas, the Longhorns got like, I don't know, a dozen other like top 200 kids. I mean, like, we people are talking about Arch Manning's NIL. Let me tell you something about Arch Manning's NIL. Arch Manning brought the NIL with him. Like whatever school was he was signing, he already he already has his own deal. So the school couldn't promise him anything. He could sign, he could he could commit it to Toledo. He'd have the same amount of NIL money, whatever that amount is, because he's bringing it with him. Like a I, lot of the, you know, I, other, but I think I could be dead wrong here. I I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think. One of the reasons why – now, we can look it up. I think one of the reasons why he chose Texas, I, I believe they hired or brought in as an off-field assistant or analyst is David Cutcliffe, who's very close to the Manning family. I think that happened. I'm not 100% sure, but, you know, Texas needed the this prospect. And, and what he's done, I mean, like, once his kid's committed – you already saw, like, they landed two five-star kids and John uh, Tate Cook, a five-star wide receiver from Texas, and they landed a five-star safety from Louisiana. So the impact of what he's already done um, from being there basically committed, what, less than a week ago, 10 days ago. Actually, David Cutcliffe turned down Texas. He was oh. the – Special assistant to the commissioner for football relations in the Southeastern Conference. Wow, yes. I, th- I thought he did take the job just, and that was one of the reasons why. Well, I was wrong, but yeah, go, but yes, yeah, the ACC can't even keep the coaches in the conference from going to the SEC to take jobs. Yeah, so, but I mean, 
it looks like Sarkeesian's putting together a hell of a class in oh Texas. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah they're they're going to end up with a top five tech class. Uh, they're top three overall. But, yeah, I mean, listen, Manning was the big name to commit this week, and there's a, a few others we're going to discuss. But Texas looks like, you know, they're, they're trying to, you know, make their presence felt in the SEC before they actually join it full time. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, this is it. I mean, you think about it, it doesn't get any really – bigger this cycle in terms of name power than Arch Manning. Yeah, I mean, he has a perfect score on 247. Yeah. yeah usually, yeah, you mean, see like 9-8-3-9. This guy has a, a perfect score. So. Arch Manning has a perfect score with all of us. I saw him. I don't even know. I don't, do I know if he's a perfect quarterback or not? No, but it feels like he is. Let's put it that way. Even his worst... <laughs> I mean, you got to figure he's going to be pretty good at, at Texas. And, yeah, exactly. Know, he comes from a, a football family. Yeah, they're, they're, they're beyond football. They're they're royalty in football. They're royalty, exactly. Uh, University of Miami has uh, really taken. I mean, and this is something we figured when they hired Mario Cristobal, and remember they hired him off of a team. They hired him to a team that had some parts already that he was going to be able to get this recruiting thing together pretty quickly. Uh, you and I, most people don't, most people wouldn't really realize the stuff that he did at um, FIU, much less everywhere else he's been. But like he was recruiting at a high level at FIU and doing that by himself. You know, you know, all these, all these programs have like, like 65 coaches on the staff. I don't know if Mario had three other coaches on the staff besides him. It was him, it was Frank Ponce, and that was about it. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that always impressed me about Mario is, one, I mean, most people that don't know him, I, I know him, you've been around him. Um, he's got an infectious personality. You're around him, you can feel the energy. Oh. He loves football. He loves, like, recruiting. I mean, he, he recruited like this when I met him all the way back to when he was at Rutgers. I mean, he I recruited, mean, yes. a, you know, he yes. recruited, he recruited yeah. a high level of Rutgers. And then he went back to Miami, and then he went to Alabama. But you you know when you're around the good recruiters, or they're very good ones. You just know it. I mean, they have a personality. They uh, kids uh, want to play for him. Uh, he's seen it at a high level. Um, where whether he was at Alabama or Oregon, uh, he's recruited very well. And this is not a surprise. If you know him, you knew that one to land elite kids, you got to go after them. All right, you have to put your rod in the water to catch the big fish. You're not, if you are not willing to lose battles, you're not going to land big time players. And, and you look at, uh, for all the way from FIU, I, I look at guys and how they pick coaching staffs. You look at Mario when he was at FIU, he had Scott Satterfield, who was his offensive coordinator, who ended up going to App State, I believe, and then he went to Louisville and became the head coach. That guy went his, Career went up. You have a Jeff Collins. Jeff Collins was an assistant coach. He was um, at, I, I think he was a GA or an off the field coach at Alabama. He was a little, did some coaching at UCF. He went to uh, FIU, became the coordinator there. You look at Frank Ponce. Frank Ponce is now a coordinator at University of Miami. He was, you look at James Coley. Coley moved up the ladder from position coach to coordinator. He knows how to find the coaches. We talked about it from more, uh, Arroyo, the, the head coach at UNLV, 
the head coach of Boise State. These guys were all under his coaching tree and the success they've had. And you look at the guys he chooses, it shows you that he has an eye for talent for coaches. He has an eye for talent for players. And he knows how to recruit. He knows how to get these guys. And he's going to have success at Miami. I know a lot of people don't want to hear that. And they'll talk about, oh, well, this is his X's and O's and this and that. At the end of the day, Corey, I told you, if you have the most players, you win. You're going to win a lot more ball games than you lose. And he's accumulating talent. He did a great job in a short amount of time last year. And what he's done this year today, pulling the franchise, my U Agoa, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, this is the, the highest rated offensive lineman they've landed since Santrell Henderson landed at Miami and was a five-star you're talking 15 years ago. He's got this program going in the right direction. And we've talked about this. He's recruiting to get Miami to that national championship level. He's telling these kids, hey, we already got the kids that are going to help us win the ACC. We need the guys that are going to help us win a national championship. This is what they look like. This is what we're going after. And we're going to get it done. And he's starting, he's proven it. And they're not done. I mean, you got to look, they've got a lot of guys. Uh, the Malik Bryant kid, who's the top rated linebacker in Florida, is looking at them. They have a defensive end that came from the uh, from Washington, who's at IMG now. Uh, he He's about to commit to University of Miami. So they're not done. He's going to end up with a top five class, and he's going to turn that program around, I believe, in the next two years. So, Yeah. And it's funny when you when you mentioned like you know I've been around you've been around Mario a ton, I've been around him a lot you know especially in his um you know FIU days, I was around him quite a bit and you know you can never be questioned whether or not he's a good recruiter, and it's like I always say if you know if you know a guy you can tell a guy's a good recruiter by being around him for a couple of minutes you know not too long, but. With him, it was like, if I didn't know anything else, the guy carries himself with such a level of confidence. Like, he le- he's letting you know he's a winner. And it's like, might not be a winner at football, might be a winner at sales, might be a winner at anything, but there's something, you know, that right away, you see the guy, you hear him talk, you hear the way he presents himself. And it's with a level of authority and, uh, as a winner. And, uh, you know, and that, that I think is absolutely, um, you know, it, it comes through in a way he's recruiting. And the one thing you see, like, he's, you know, right now, they're, you know, Florida's having a big deal. They're, ha- they're struggling a whole bunch, uh, you know, because he signed some kid, He signed, you know, a quarterback that they wanted and, you know, several other different things. That are happening and it's like the guys that can do it can do it like yeah you know billy napier might have 85 you know game changing uh game changing coaches or whatever you have but if you can't get the player it doesn't matter how many coaches you have like mario's staff in miami is not that big i don't think he has a ton of analysts yet i'm not sure but i don't think he has a ton of off-field analysts or anything Yet he's still managing to get the kids that you need to win. So, you know, you start putting all this stuff together and it, it's about landing the kids. You know, it's not, and no matter how many, you can have 150 coaches on the staff, but that doesn't necessarily <laughs> land you the kid. Corey, why do you and I, you know, listen, 
I'm not going to agree with you all the time. You're not going to, I'm not going to, you're not going to agree with me all the time, but how have we figured this out that it's the team with the most talent wins? Like yeah. I just, the average fan sits there. Listen, these coaches, if you ever sit, I've sat in football offices with these guys, these coaches know football. Football's not like football's easy to them. It's a different language. Like if the average fan sat in an offensive coordinator's room and they started drawing up plays and they start explaining stuff, it may as well be a different language. I, I, I mean, it, you're not going to understand it as a, the average person that goes in there. They know football. At the end of the day, you are only as good as the players you recruit. Now, I'm not saying coaching is not important. We've talked about this. Coaching is important. But Georgia won last year, all right, because they had the most talent in the country. And, and they've had the most talent. And eventually, the probability, if you have the best talent five years in a row, one of those five, you're going to win a title, no matter how good or bad of a coach you are. You're, it's all going to go yeah. – the and, odds are in your favor to win, you know? And you could probably even do it with Stetson Bennett as your quarterback. Exactly. You know, I mean, listen, Jimbo had the most talent in 2013, and they won. Even when they didn't play, even when they didn't play their best game against Auburn in the championship game, the best player on the field was on one side, Jameis Winston. They won. You know, he threw to the second best player and Kelvin Beck. It's just they had the better players. That's why they won at the end. And that the probability of you winning goes up if you have the most talent. Alabama as greatest, and we've talked about it. What's been so remarkable about Saban is losing the coaches, continuing to bring new coaches in. And they've been able to sustain it at a level that's never been seen before. But let's not kid ourselves. Alabama, you go look at their recruiting rankings every year. They were number one except like one year in 10 years. And I think Georgia yeah, was no. like, yeah, Georgia was number one. Yeah, like there was a and reason they were number why, two. Like it, it, there was no magic why Alabama won the national championship. And then you go look at the year LSU won with that Orgeron. They were the most talented team. Just go look at the draft. I mean yeah. – Jamar Chase is the best receiver in pro football right now. Let's put it this way. Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow made the Super Bowl in their yes. second year together. Okay? Yeah. 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 So so winning so winning a college national title was child's play for them. Because in their second year together with the Super Bowl. I'm just it it just like people like try to overcomplicate this. Oh, it's coaching, it's coaching, it's coaching. All right. That, if you say so, uh, listen, I truly believe like Mike Bloomgren at Rice does a very good job. I just think that everything's working against them. They have like Ivy League academics. They don't allow kids in, um, you know, to their football team. Like there's only so much he can do. Yeah, he should probably win six games or seven games and maybe win a bowl game once every four or five years. But you are what you are. Like you can't take chicken poop and, you know, make it to chicken salad. It just – it doesn't exist. You've got to have players. And you know, like, the, re the teams that keep winning are the ones that have the most talent. I, I, I'll guarantee you in the next five years, USC, Alabama, Ohio State, Texas, Texas A&M, these are the teams that are going to be playing for the titles because they're getting the most talent. It's the, the coaching is correct. You know. and, if, and, and if we had to, like, when you look at these things, you point out, like, all right, who's going to be, you know, Who's gonna be the next? Who's gonna be the next coach that can go on? That can go on maybe a little bit of a run like that because they can recruit well. They can coach well. They can have a championship team. Like I look at it and I say, you know, I think Dave Miranda might be able to win a national title in Baylor. But if you put him at 
I don't know, Auburn? Holy smokes. You know, that guy with that guy because he can already he's already shown you he can he can coach. You know, you know what you know what shows me Dave Aranda's a good coach? He had a really not good first year. All right. So you you start <coughs> to have your doubts, all right. He goes out, he hired my favorite offensive coordinator. You know, I, I was a big fan of the coordinator he brought in from BYU. And he basically said to the guy, listen, you take the offense, the defense is going to be good. I'll stay out of the way. And Baylor went from just not a good team his first year to like the following year, they were almost played for the playoffs and made the, you know, like in one year, he made the right adjustments that he had to make. And they were tough decisions. He brought these guys in. He realized he made mistakes with his coaching staff. And he said, you know what? I can't, I've already been part of big time football programs. This ain't working. And it took him one year to realize that. Yeah. It didn't take him two, three years. And he had to go through COVID and he had to deal with um, a head coach leaving and and a lot of the players leaving with that. I mean, he had to basically rebuild that program in one and a half years. And he did it in Baylor. Honestly, by the end of the year, who wanted to play them? They were tough as heck to play. I mean, Oklahoma sure as hell didn't want to see them again. No, oh, absolutely not. Yeah. So, you know, you can quickly spot the coaches out there that you think, all right, if they're not, if they haven't won a national title yet, they're going to win one within the next 10 years. Like it's going to happen, you know, because they've got it all together. They understand the coaching aspect, they understand the importance of having the right staffing. And they know how to get the players. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's it. That's it. You know, it's it's all of those things working together. Like you said, you can be a great coach. If you don't know how to get the players, it doesn't matter. You can't coach your way past talent deficiencies. No. If you don't have a good staff around you, you can't that 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 that, that you know, goes into your talent deficiencies. We got a staff that can't recruit, a non-recruiting staff. You want to you want to see a, a team that loses. Look at their staff. Look at how they recruit. A non-winning team is generally going to have a non-winning, non-winning staff of coaches on them. No question. <laughs> Listen, I, I just – you have to have strong recruiters. And like I said, good recruiters are usually going to be good coaches because a guy that's a running back coach that keeps bringing in five-star running backs, it's a lot easier to coach those guys. Uh, you know, I'm not saying they don't have to teach them much, but at the end of the day, if you're – rolling out, you know, the running backs that Oklahoma, Alabama's rolled out for the last freaking 10 straight years, you're going to be probably considered the best running back coach in the country. And it's because who you recruited. It's not because you taught them how to become a running back. So it, once again, it just, it comes down to talent and accumulating that talent and who's going to do that. You know, you, you know, I feel like um, the coach down in College Station is going to win a national title in the next couple of years because of the accumulation of talent that a yeah. put together. And it's not by accident. They have no. – he has a great coaching staff. I mean, he just brought in uh, DJ Durkin to replace, um, you know, well, the coach that was, you know, uh, he, um, Elko that went to uh, Wake Forest. So, like, he, he had one very good coach and brought in a top-10 D coordinator. So, like, their team's not going to have a drop-off on defense. Plus – you know, they've, they've had their D-line class last year was probably one of the best signed in the last 10 years. And when you got guys that you can roll out in the front four like that, you're going to win a lot of ball games. And, and to me, what it does, it also motivates your current roster. Yeah. Because you got guys that sophomores going to juniors, whatever, that they realize 
they've got to they've got to send a message with their play on the field that year, that next incoming group that hey, these spots are ours. Yeah, you guys are coming in with all this hype, but these starting spots are ours. And you know the only way you can guarantee that is by producing on the field and producing in the win loss record. So I think it always works out on both ends. No doubt. Yeah. Oh, all right. We've hit an hour. We're going to wrap this thing up. What else is going on in your world? I see Ethan has a transition from baseball to football now. Yeah, he got his first taste of um, tackle football last week, and um, they put on the pads, and they put their hands in the ground, and they told the guys to strap it up and hit each other. The first rep wasn't pretty. Uh, Uh I'm going to lie. He he got a little taste of what uh, tackle football is about. But after that, he, he listened to the coaches and he held his own. I, he won probably more than he lost. So, I, I you know, he, the one thing is, and he didn't get it from me because most people I know, I'm, I'm not the smartest bird in the world, but he definitely is a smart kid. He picks stuff up quickly. I'm sure my wife will take credit for his yeah, uh, brain. Oh, she'll take credit for all that. Uh, yeah, trust me. I'm, the only thing he, I get credit for is his feet. Our feet look yeah. up. That's the only thing that I get credit for is this week. So, but uh, did you watch the USFL championship game last night? No, I didn't even know. They had one. <laughs> Actually, I didn't watch it when it happened. I happened to be wait. I had to be up about two in the morning and flipped it on and watch a bit. It wasn't bad. You see a lot of names there, you know, like Bo Scarborough. Um, Tony James Brooks, remember him out of Gainesville? Uh, Jay, one, 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 I remember one, seeing Scarborough's picture coming out of high school. And I'm like, there's no way this kid's 18 years old. You know, yeah, like, I mean, the kid, dude, the kid, I like, oh my god! I think I showed him the one thing with him just carrying like two weights, just with just veins just popping out everywhere. Oh my god, that kid looked like that kid looked like a million. That kid looked like he was straight out of a muscle magazine. Oh my. god. I, like, honestly, if you had told me he got into bodybuilding and was, like, in the Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger classic, I'd believe you. Yeah, I mean, because he looked, he looked that physically impressive, so. Yeah. Uh, so, no, but, yeah, uh, the uh, Birmingham Stallions won 33-30. Like I said, it was a pretty good game. It wasn't a bad game at all. And that was, uh, I don't know, who coaches Birmingham, I think? I don't know if it was Skip Holtz coaches moments. He coaches the uh, Birmingham Stallions. Uh, you don't have to recruit. You don't have to recruit in pro football, so maybe no, no. You can just pick. They picked out of a lot of players, thankfully. So you know, he didn't have to. He didn't have to do that. Uh, yeah, Birmingham Stallions head coach. It was either him or um, the other one. Uh, can you imagine my last name being Holtz and I have my work ethic? Jesus, I'd be rich. No, it was, yeah, it was Skip Holtz. Skip Holtz wins a championship. Oh, my God. Yeah, and, uh, he couldn't, yeah. couldn't win a game at USF, but he won a championship at USF. Yeah, he wins a championship. Uh, yeah, you know, podcast. we do. We have to. I'd love to get Skip Holtz on a podcast. That would actually be kind of funny to yeah. hear about. I don't know. He was. His recruiting at USF was just really bad. Like, you know, like USF, and that because I live here in the Tampa St. Pete area, you can always kind of tell which which guys are going to work by how many like Hillsborough County kids they take 
And it's not a dump on Hillsborough County kids because there's quite a bunch of them that are very good. But, like, the good ones don't go to USF probably ever. Like, there might be, like, Taji Fullwood and Andre Davis are, like, the two that I could think of on the top of my head that were, like, like Hillsborough kids that were really good that went to uh, high school kids that couldn't either run. Yeah. But, you know, they were good at USF. They were fine. But, like, like when, like, the success that Jim Levitt had on there, the success that Willie Taggart had there, it was by, like, getting kids down in my, like, Broward kids, eight kids, coming up, getting lucky with Fort Myers kids. <laughs> it's that, you know, Fort Myers kids that, you know, weren't, no, no, that, you know, you could get into school. Like, Marlon Mack was from Sarasota. Uh, you know, George... George Selby from Pensacola. Like they never, they never got. And the weird, thing, the funny thing is, like Hillsborough County coaches hated Willie and they hated Levin because, like, you know, they just weren't going to take him. They're like, oh yeah, because they, this they, kid's lovely. Like they, you they should take him. They want to send them like those FCS level kids are like that they think are Division One, and they're like, listen, you're not, like, I, I'm watching the film. These kids can't play here. Like, I'd rather go to Miami. And take a second or third tier kid that can run, and I yeah. can develop it. And that's, I mean, that's that's what happened. I mean, they they did not want to just take whatever those coaches were giving them, and that's why they had success. You can't, you know, the same thing kind of happened with Greg up at Rutgers originally the first time. You know, the, the schools like Bergen Catholic and, and um, the top programs that I, I forgot the one guy that uh, played linebacker at Penn State. He had played at one of those, Don Bosco. Don Bosco. Yeah, they didn't want to ever send their kids to Greg. Like, they would send them to Lafayette and the Lehigh-type kids and go, oh, these kids can play D1. And Greg's like, all right, no, you you don't want to give me your best players. We'll just go down, recruit Florida, recruit Georgia, recruit D.C., and we'll kick kick these, you know, Northeast kids' butts, and then you're going to want to play here. And that's what happened. He won with guys that he knew he could win with, built it up, and then eventually – the um, coaches in that area decided they wanted to start sending their kids there. And that's how they ended up with Mike Teal, who was a top rated quarterback from Don Bosco. But I think it's the same way in Tampa. You got to win first. And then, you know, those guys are going to be like, oh, yeah, I want my kids to play close to home. And I think if they could just get one, if Scott can win and uh, win some games, I think those Hillsborough and uh, St. Pete kids, especially now, you know, because. Uh, a lot of those kids, maybe you, you go look. There's a lot of kids that go D1, but um, maybe they go too too high of a level, and they should be going to USF. So. Yeah, yeah, you know what? I think what you know, Jeff Scott, you had to bring in Travis Trickett because they they needed somebody that could kind of kind of tell 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 coach. One thing we know about Travis, and we know both on Travis for a long time, he can tell coaches no. You know, and I don't think they really had that sort of recruiter. Like, now they do have somebody that can say, nah, we might as well just go out of Miami and just get some kids down there. Instead of just saying, oh, we'll take this kid, we'll take that kid. So that that was, that thing was a big thing, was getting somebody like Travis that kind of, that has a little, that understand. Like, the one thing Levitt used to tell me when he would have his issues with Hillsborough is that you go Corey, it's a big state. Like, I could just go into Polk County and get some kids. Like, I could just go into, I could just go into Paso County and find a kid. I could just go down I seventy five either way. Like, I could find twenty five kids. Yeah. 
you know, and don't have to, you know, and don't have to take you take one of these kids that can't play. So you guys will like, it. you know. I mean, at some places you are kind of stuck like that. You know, like what Greg did with Chiano did was it's a pretty bold move because you think about it, like he was gonna have to. He was, you know, right right off the bat, he knew he wasn't getting, you know, the Hun School, Don Bosco, Bergen Catholic. All those schools, like they were gonna, they were gonna shut him out. Yep. So he had to, like, he had to win with those kids from the south that he was recruiting because he was gonna get shut out in his own state. And once he did, you know, once he won a little bit, they all started flocking to him, you know, because they real and then, you know, and also give an idea of the kids that he wants and the kids that he believes help you win college football games. Yeah. No ah, well, all right. We had a, gave you a mouthful today. Yep. And with that, we're going to close out. Uh, the fish cast is a uh, part of the Florida of uh, the the Florida. What is it? The Florida Football Coaches Talk Coaches Network. I'm, I'm totally messing it up. Craig Barrettelli's he's going to kill me because I, I I I know it, but it's late. I can't think of it. But I do want to thank them. All of their fine distribution and helping us get the fish cast out there. Uh, Justin Otto is our producer. Uh, I'm sure he's playing Grand Theft Auto online right now or like Halo or something, but he'll like, get to this eventually. What's up, Justin? Um, and really, uh, as always, you can go on Twitter at the Fish Podcast and you can find a fish cast at all of the places Spotify, Apple. SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, like 20 other places I've never heard of that people have actually downloaded the fish cast off of. It, it's just, it's everywhere. We got we got fans all over the world. I mean, that's the bottom line. The fish cast pretty much goes globally now. That's, that's awesome. pretty exciting. Yeah. And uh, we'll be back soon, probably to talk about more schools defecting. And uh, more recruiting stuff and more college football. And we're going to have more coaches on, too, because the season starts in, oh, about 60 days or so. So less than that. Actually, let's see, 31, 27, 58. Uh, like, we're like, at, we're like at 54 days right now. But, oh, Athlons has come out. Did you get the new Athlons? Uh, I got I got Athlon. Yeah, I got their college football things. I one of the dogs ate part of it, so I got to, like, kind of piece it together. <laughs> oh, my wife always does that. She, she allows, like, her, her one year she had one of her dogs, like, eat, eat my glasses, you know? And I didn't know, and I went to put them on. Oh, my God. Like, she always hides stuff from that. Like, I won't see it, you know? So I opened up my Athlons, and half of it was eaten. So. Oh, my goodness. Oh, thank God she's on your side. So I have here. Oh, you know, it's, uh, but yeah, that's all. And, you know, with that, we're just going to say thank you to everybody for the fish cast. My name is Corey Long. Charles Fishbine, do you have any parting words? I'm good, man. I'm uh, Like I said, I, I'm excited to see how this thing's going to break down all over. College I feel football. like by the time our next podcast, it will be like eight other schools that are affected. Oh, yeah. So, guys, schools, if you're going to do it, just do it now, you know. Don't don't wait for like dramatics and stuff. Just just do it now. Uh, I'm out, man. I've got, All right. I got people jumping into my office, peeking in, wondering 
what I'm I wonder what we're going to be done. All right, yeah. fair enough. I'll talk to you later. But everybody, have a great night out there. Talk to you later. Eric Estep here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at forneyind.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.